Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 39. On today's show, we'll be talking to John Pollock of Financial Gravity about strategic tax planning. John's going to tell us how strategic tax planning can help you reduce your personal tax liability by $21,000 a year or more. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Shy. Hey, I've got a great board game for you. And acting as a government official, I can tell you, you're going to love it. Let's have it. Okay. It's promoted as being the great way to create jobs, get rich, and of course, it's the answer to all of our worldly problems. But there's a few minor obstacles in the game. Number one, the rules are complicated, intentionally vague, and always changing. Number two, the odds are stacked against you from winning. Some say 100 to 1,000 to 1. Number three, if you survive the first initial rounds, you may be rewarded with a bit of fulfillment and money. Number four, however, your fellow team members may want their fair share of the winnings, and the problems of the game remain yours, of course. And number five, there's a special rule book. It's only 74,608 pages, defining how your winnings will be shared with an entity known in some circles as the money pit. Aren't you excited? I'll bet you can't wait to play this game, right? Oh, I love this game. This sounds like the federal tax IRS kick your ass game. <laughs> get to, We get to play this one annually. Oh, and possibly quarterly, depending on how well you're doing, of course. And the incentives are amazing. You know, since 1984, the tax code has tripled in size. And if it continues to grow at its present rate, it will exceed 100,000 pages by 2050. What part of that is goodness? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, Craig, the tax code has gotten so complex that it's actually created demand for a whole new generation of strategic tax advisors. And if you've been frustrated with your CPA firm just not really being proactive enough, our guest today is someone who specializes in just that. He is John Pollock of Financial Gravity, who created the first national tax firm specifically designed to help entrepreneurs reduce their personal tax liability by an average of $21,000. Good morning, John. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Thanks for having me. John, we're really excited to have you here today to talk about strategic tax planning for small business owners. This is just an area that is so often overlooked. And could you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get into this field? Yeah, complete selfishness. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was, is I started having success. And with success comes a, a J curve of taxes. So what happens is, is as your income doubles, your taxes triple or quadruple. So the growth in your tax rate grows exponentially faster than your income. It's the way the tax code was built. And I didn't know this. And most small business owners don't know this. And they kind of get blindsided by it once they start making money. And all of a sudden, huge taxes hit. So I went to solve a problem that I had personally. And that's what led you to found Financial Gravity? Yeah. So we were a wealth management firm primarily. 
And like I said, I had success making tons of money. And then all of a sudden I had these huge taxes. So I started interviewing CPAs and accountants and bookkeepers and payroll specialists. And none of them really knew how to solve the problem. I kind of got the same answer over and over again, which was, you know, you make what you make, you pay what you pay. That's that's the deal. If you want to pay less taxes, you make less money. And I just didn't accept that because I kept hearing rich people don't pay their fair share. And I thought, geez, this seems fair to me. And uh, <laughs> pretty dramatic. And I said, I don't know, there's got to be a way. I mean, if rich people aren't paying their fair share, do they have like a super secret part of the tax code that you have to have a special handshake to get access to? or? Is the same tax code available to all of us? And that's what I went to solve. And so what kinds of things did you discover? Uh, well, first of all, there's 70,000 pages. You know, it's funny because we have to constantly repeat that everything we do is legal, moral, and ethical. But it's funny because there's 70,000 pages. There's so much good stuff in the tax code that we don't have to break the law. Tax avoidance is legal and, and encouraged by the tax code. It's the tax evasion that gets us in trouble, but people think they're connected, and they're not. For example, a simple one we use a lot because it's just one of those, you hit your head and I can't believe it's there, is 14-day rental rule. You can rent your house to yourself 14 days a year tax-free. So assume that you have a house and we decide through various methods that's worth $1,000 a day to rent to yourself, well, that's $14,000. Well, if you're in a 25% tax bracket, that's three dollars to $4,000 in tax savings by doing that one strategy. And we find that most accountants don't implement it. And there's even a box on one of the forms for the strategy. And could you give us a little more context on that? What is the allowance that says that a business owner could rent their house to themselves? Under what circumstances? You get to choose the circumstances. There's got to be a business reason. So let's say, you know, my wife is my vice president of my company because when I formed the documentation, I had no company and I needed a vice president. So I made her a vice president. And we need to have a board meeting once a quarter. Well, there's four meetings that we can use our house for to write it off. We just have to document it. It's one of those crazy things. Now, there is a more current use for this tax code. If you are an Airbnb business owner, so in other words, you rent your room, well, you can rent your room to somebody else. They pay you for the room, and you don't have to declare that as income for 14 days. Once you declare the 15th day, it's income. All 14 days are actually included. So you can only do it for 14 days. It's a really strange part of the tax code. It's called the Augusta Rule now. A lot of people use it who live near the Augusta Golf Course. They'll rent their house for that two weeks during the Masters Tournament, and they'll pay for their expenses for the whole year, and it's all tax-free. So it's, it's got deemed the Augusta Rule, but it's been in the tax code for decades, and people just use it. That's what's so interesting about the tax code is it's the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. You asked a spirit question. But the letter of the law basically says you can rent your house to yourself 14 days. You just have to follow certain things. You got to document it. You have to have a business reason. And those are pretty simple when you run a business. And most of us run our businesses from our homes. So it's just another way to write our home off. John, I really like the distinction that you made between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. How do you think this may affect our bias and how we approach tax code in the first place? Well, we're biased because we kind of operate our lives within the spirit of things, not the letter of things. But law is very, very literal. Let me give you a simple example and then throw in a, another cool strategy in the process. 
the letter of the law says that an employee is three things. It's someone that has a contract, it's someone that you pay through payroll, and it's someone that the money is deposited into their own account. That's the letter of the law. Notice that the letter of the law does not indicate that the employee actually has to do work. There's nothing in the tax code that requires that I cannot be, a, I can be a lousy boss. I can hire lots of people, pay them lots of money, and, and not have them do anything. The letter of the law doesn't count that. Remember, the IRS just wants their cut. So as long as it's going through payroll, they're getting their 7.5% FICA and all that good stuff. So now let's take the letter of the law and apply it to something that people think is a little weird. What if I employ my child? So now I can employ my child. They got to be over seven. That's a, there's a court case on that. So if they're <laughs> over seven and I employ my child, not only do I not have to pay FICA taxes, but if I pay them less than the standard deduction, I pay no taxes. So if I pay them $6,000, the standard deduction is over $6,000. I file a tax return. They pay no taxes. So I have four children. So I can pay four children $24,000 a year. It's just accounting. And that 24000 shifts from my high tax bracket to their zero tax bracket. And it's truly zero. There's no FICA tax. If I pay your kid, there is a FICA tax. If I pay my kid, the FICA tax is waived. So this is all letter of the law stuff. But if I tell you out of the box, hey, you know what? You can employ your kids and save a ton of money. Well, that seems weird. My kid's not really doing anything. You're thinking spirit of the law. But the letter of the law has nothing to do with doing anything. It has to do with that three-rule test. Once we reach the three rules, we are following the letter of the law. The IRS is getting their legal cut. In this case, it's still zero, but that's legal. And we've now effectively reduced taxes on a chunk of our money. John, these two examples I have never heard before. And you say them with such confidence, so matter-of-fact. Why are we so ignorant to these opportunities? Is it fear of audit? Is it fear of we're doing something wrong that's un-American? Or what keeps us regular business owners from exercising these kinds of things, just as we would try to control any other cost? That is probably the single best question I've ever received from a host. And I think I know the answer, but most people don't like it. So I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> Please. Account- I mean, here's the deal. The accounting industry has failed miserably. The accounting industry, and I think this exists in a lot of other industries as well as the entrepreneurial industry, is a lot of times you go to an expert and expect certain types of advice and you don't get the advice that you expected. The accounting industry, the CPA, who most people go to in the small business community for help with taxes, is not trained to help with taxes. The CPA exam, which is a 14-hour, so this is an objectively very, very difficult exam. This 14-hour exam has not one single question on tax planning. So now there's this respect level towards an industry that doesn't know anything about the thing that you're going to them for. So instead of raising their hand saying, I don't know how to do tax planning, I'm just an accountant. They feign that they're good at it. If you look at a lot of brochures for accountants, they say tax planning on it. And frankly, they're not trained for tax planning unless they've had extraneous planning outside of the accounting industry. Because remember, an accountant is really just a historian. They record what you've done. Tax planning is planning to do something differently. And the brain that is attracted to the accounting industry is not the brain that's good at proactive thinking, which is what us as entrepreneurs, we're really good at. It's just natural to us. 
the accountant, it's not natural to them. Most accountants don't think like entrepreneurs. So the very person you're getting your advice from doesn't know how to deliver the advice. This is a hole in the marketplace that I still stunned that I found. For five years, I went to conferences thinking, I can't be the only one that has noticed this. I was. It's remarkable to hear you say it like that and think, you know, I don't want to just sit here and trash CPAs. Yeah, I mean, that's a temptation. <laughs> There's a temptation to say that they all suck <laughs> uh, when they don't. I mean, we bought a company called Tax Coach Software and they train CPAs and EAs on this stuff. So they have 600 clients. So there are organizations out there training to solve this problem, but it's not on a scale. And it's, it's like any large industry. Once they become entrenched, they use legislation to protect their entrenchment. I mean, look at what the cab industry is doing with the threat of Uber. They're not thinking, gosh, Uber is killing us. Why don't we come up with our own app called the cab app, and then we'll just compete with them on the same turf. We'll do a better job than they are, and we'll win. They didn't do that. They got legislatures to come up with laws in Austin here in Texas. Big news, Uber left. Because they tried to pass some laws that Uber wasn't willing to adhere to. So they said, okay, we're just not going to do business in Austin anymore. So it's interesting that large ingrained organizations will always defend their position using legislation instead of innovation. So it's my job as an entrepreneur to innovate, even though there are these large entrenched organizations like the accounting industry. We like accountants. We need them. We just need them for things that they're trained for, not for things they're not trained for. And don't you think that the incentives are kind of wrong, too? Because when I think about my experiences with the different firms I've worked with, so many of them are in this come from of, well, you know, you don't really want to do anything that might raise a red flag or do this or this. So it gives you as a client, it gives you the center of gravity about around being conservative as possible. So instead of rationally challenging the rules, which is what you're doing. Actually, I wouldn't even say you're challenging them. You're just oh. ra- rationally interpreting them. Yes. <laughs> we're not even interpreting them. We're rationally applying them. Even better. Even yes, better. Yes, we're just Yeah, right. <laughs> we're just taking the rules they gave us. I mean, there's 70,000 pages. You know, people complain about, you know, the large agribusiness gets these tax strategies that they're allowed to use. All they're doing is following the code. You know, that we talked before we went live that a lot of companies are moving from California to Texas. Why are they doing that? Well, because the taxes in California are 13%. They moved to Texas, it's zero. If you're making $100 million, 13% is a lot of money. So it's a good business decision to pick up. And, and you know, business owners are making these decisions all the time. They're thinking, gosh, if I move my entire operation from one state to another state, how many millions of dollars will that cost? And then the next question, and when is my ROI? The ROI is a couple of years. They're going to pick up stakes and leave. That's the deal. So for a uh, small business owner not to take advantage of every part of the tax code, and what's interesting about paying taxes, it's based on money you've already earned. So when I save you $20,000 in taxes, it's found money. But it's found money amongst money that you've earned. I'm not saying that when you become a millionaire, you'll be able to save taxes. I'm saying you will pay $20,000 less taxes next year if you just follow the tax code that's written for you. That's the other thing that's nuts about the tax code. Legislature is designed to write law and they write it for us. They may be manipulating us by 
wanting us to do certain activities. Therefore, you know, we do X activity. Therefore, we get Y tax credit or whatnot. That's okay. We just need to follow it. That's what the 70,000 pages are for. They're for policy. But yet, for some reason, like you mentioned, people are afraid to take the policies written by lawmakers and use them. Why not? The red flag is the perfect example. The home offices have not been a red flag for decades, basically since the Internet's been invented. So why are we still talking about this? There are five different ways to write off a home office. Five. If it was a red flag, why did the IRS create five separate ways to do it? Sounds like it's a green flag to me. Yeah, John, it sounds like we've got so much legacy of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, of the laws and the way things were done then. And we had so much proactive auditing going on of that era. And now the auditing has gone down so much and the cleanliness of tax returns has gone sky high. So along those lines, getting this proactive tax planning, a lot of it starts with the structure of the company. I know you've got some thoughts there too. Yeah, so this is very interesting. If I'm doing a public speaking engagement, one of the first questions I'll ask is, by a show of hands, how many here have an LLC? And good, about half of the audience will go up. A lot of people have LLCs. So the f- next thing I'll ask is, how many people file as an LLC? And generally, as many hands will go up. You cannot file as an LLC. This is one of these strange parts of the tax code. An LLC is a legal entity. How you file is the same for everybody. It's either an S-corp, a partnership, a C-corp, a sole proprietor, or a disregarded entity. That's it. Those are the five. So if you're an LLC, you have to choose one of those five. Most people don't choose one because someone set it up for them and it becomes the default setting. Well, the default setting is a sole proprietor. The sole proprietor is five times ready for this. This is nuts. One of the biggest questions we get asked is, if I follow your advice, is my audit risk going to go up? It's the exact opposite, in fact. Example of this is if I file as a sole proprietor, I am five times more likely to be audited than if I just convert to an S-corp. So your audit risk goes down while your taxes go down. You have self-employment tax on a sole proprietor. You can eliminate the self-employment tax on the S-corp. So just by switching from a sole proprietor and S-corp, you can save thousands of dollars and lower your audit risk. And no one thinks that one's scary. They think renting your house yourself for 14 days, that sounds weird. But switching from a sole proprietor and S-corp, for some reason, doesn't sound weird. It's one of these weird things that we haven't been able to figure out why people embrace something they haven't heard of in the tax code. And while they'll shun other things they haven't heard in the tax code, it's kind of a weird psychology we haven't figured out yet. Along the lines of a tax strategy, what would you say is the first step? What's the most important first thing to do to reduce the tax liability? Yeah, I'd say that the best first step, without question, be the entity selection. And it's often the most ignored step. It's strange because people will be attracted to something like the 14-day rental rule, but they'll neglect the fact that there's a much bigger tax strategy in switching from a sole proprietor to an S-corp. So picking the entity, that is where it all starts. The way we explain it is it's kind of the framing of the house. So you can pick granite countertops later. That's kind of the window dressing on how the house looks. But if it's not framed properly, 
then you can't hang all the other stuff on it. So you got to get the framing right in order to make the house what you want it to be. So get the entity set up right. And you really need help on that because sometimes a C-Corp is better. Our company has S's and C's. The problem with S-Corps is they're pass-through entities. So if you start creating some amount of money or you want to retain earnings, let's say it's December and you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank and next year, first quarter, you're going to build you know, maybe a new office. Well, if you're in an S-Corp, that $200,000 will hit your personal return and be taxed at the highest rate. But if it's a C-Corp, it's taxed at corporate tax rates and I can retain those earnings. So depending on how your business is structured, you may want to go C versus S. Or in many cases, we do both. From a election standpoint, we say, look, the reality is, is that Republicans tend towards small business. So an S-Corp tends to be better. These are not blanket rules, but they tend to be true, is uh, Republicans are tend to be better for small business owners. Democrats tend to be better for big business owners. So they pass more laws that benefit C-Corps. Well, if you have both, it really doesn't matter who gets elected. You just change the flow of money. Our audience is various sizes of small businesses. And I was curious, at different levels of size of business, how would you suggest they strategize their bookkeeping and their accounting systems and outsourcing and when to pull in the right professionals? What are the stages of size when they should be expanding that? So the first stage is about 100000 in gross revenue. So once you hit that number, which is pretty low, it's a pretty low uh, threshold, you've got to get off a sole proprietor and start moving to a general type of corporation like an S-Corp or a partnership. After that, it really doesn't depend on the size as much as it depends on what you want the business to do. You know, we have $12 million businesses that belong in an S-Corp. We have $1 million businesses that belong in a C-Corp. So it really depends on the growth trajectory, what type of business you want it to be, what your vision for the future is. Uh, We'll make a determination on the type of corporation. I mean, if you're a uh, capital intensive business or a a business with high profit margins, but is service based like ours, then an S Corp may be better. But if you're capital intensive and have lots of inventory, then chances are a C Corp would be better. So it really, it just depends. And what you're looking for basically is two things from your accountant or your tax professional. Number one, they've got to help you lower your taxes. If they haven't given you at least one idea to lower your taxes by at least $1,000, I mean, our averages is 20 per year. So if you can't get your professional to give you a piece of advice that saves you $1,000 a year, then you've graduated. You need to move on. The second thing you need your accountant to do is to generate numbers that help you run your business better. If they're giving you a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet, I joke that the average entrepreneur can't read those documents to save their life. You have a finance degree, maybe you can read them. If you're an accountant, you can read them. If you're a banker, you can read them. But unless you're in those three categories, most of us can't read those things. We need numbers that help us run our businesses from a day-to-day standpoint. I should be able to log in, see if something's going wrong daily. A profit and loss and a balance sheet doesn't do that. So if you can solve for those two things from an accountant level, tax planning, and numbers that will help you run your business, that's a good accountant. And since most of us don't have that from our accounting firm, John, <laughs> how do we get help? This is like the perfect tee ball question. You basically set the ball on the tee so that I can hit it out of the park. 
I couldn't have scripted it better. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is fantastic. <laughs> so we actually have a process that we have developed over the last five years. I'm an entrepreneur, so I think like my clients. So we've been building the business around the way I think, which meeting more and more entrepreneurs is the way we all think. We're all dysfunctional in the same way, which is a good thing when you're developing a business targeting that dysfunction. <laughs> but <laughs> so what we did is we developed a thing called a tax blueprint. We actually say this quite often. You don't have a proactive tax plan unless you have a tax blueprint. And we use the construction analogy is that the blueprint is a design. And when you have a blueprint for a house, you don't have a house. You have the structure and the design the initial designs for the house. You still need a home builder. And at some point, you're going to need someone to sell you furniture so you can move in and live in the house. We have that three-step process. We have a tax blueprint that is the design. You could take that design to your current accountant as their home builder, and they can take those strategies and implement them for you. Or we can do it. We have what's called a tax operating system where we will help you run your business as tax efficiently as possible. Because if I can save you $20,000 a year, our highest is one business owner that's saving $760,000 every year. That's a lot of money to go back into the business and start to feed it to do the things that they want to do. So we have this specific process, tax blueprint, tax operating system, and then we're a wealth management firm. So at some point, some of the strategies that we're going to give you are products that are going to serve your end game. And since we don't sell products, we only follow the tax code. So we have one strategy where you're allowed to stash $1.2 million tax-free. Well, that strategy, a lot of financial advisors and accountants don't know about. It's in the tax code. We'll give you the internal revenue code number. We'll show you the court cases that protect that strategy. In fact, that particular strategy, uh, the IRS went after United Parcel Service because they didn't like it. And on our United Parcel Service was using it quite aggressively, United Parcel Service won that case. And the reason they won was because they did three things. So guess what? We make sure those three things are implemented when we build the strategy for you. Well, someone's got to manage the money as we put it into the strategy, and we do that as well. So we do everything from the design of the house, the building of the house, and the furnishing of the house, but we're modular. You can use this for any one of the pieces or all the pieces. But the tax blueprint is where it all starts. Wow, John, I can't tell you, this has been such a great show and such an eye-opening show. You know, the work that you do at Financial Gravity and the way you help people with this planning is just remarkable. And I'm sure our listeners are really going to want to take advantage of this. I thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Shai and Craig, for the time. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to business owners. It's a message I'm trying to get out there that there is a way to save money on taxes. <laughs> Clearly. And so is there anything else you'd like to offer our listeners? Yeah, we have a, a actually a biography that was uh, shot by an Emmy-producing director. He's won four Emmys, and he actually did a biography on our firm. So if you go to financialgravity.com forward slash DVD offer, you'll be able to get a free copy of that DVD. It's only a half hour, but it, it kind of shows our story and gives you an idea of what we're trying to do. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Our guest today has been John Pollock of Financial Gravity. You can learn more about John and download the free DVD and other valuable information on how to lower your taxes in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.